Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my lovely betwixters. I thought I could do a Scottish accent when I started that, and then what came out of my mouth was just dreadful. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Betwixters. I should have given you a fair news warning for that. All right, I will st- I will desist with the Scottish accents, but the reason that I was attempting that is because today we are talking about the history of the real Outlander, and it is pretty juicy, let me tell you. So you do need a fair dues warning, and here it is. This is an adult podcast spoken by adult, other adults about adulty things in an adulty way and covering a range of adult subjects, and you should be an adult too. And now we've got that little lot out of the way, on with the show. <laughs> Following the defeat at the Battle of Culloden in 1746, Bonnie Prince Charlie, leader of the Jacobean Uprising, was forced to flee for his life to the Highlands. The pursuing Redcoat army were hot on his tail and seeking retribution. He met an unlikely ally in Flora MacDonald, who had plenty to risk herself, by the way, with both a stepfather and a fiancé fighting for King George II. But she agreed to help, disguising Prince Charles as an Irish spinning maid called Betty Burke and arranging for boatsmen to take him across to the Isle of Skye. Although swathes of Highlanders met the wrath of the British army, Charlie managed to escape with his life. His escape was immortalised in the 1884 tune Sky Boat Song, now the theme to the hit TV show Outlander. But... What about the man behind that legend? What was he really like? I am ready to find out if you are. What do you look for in a man? Oh, money, of course. (laughs) You're supposed to rise when an adult speaks to you. I make perfect copies of whatever my boss needs by just turning a knob and pushing the Yes, social courtesy does make a difference. Goodness, what beautiful time. Goodness has nothing to do with it, dearie. Hello, and welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, with me, Kate Lister. One aspect of being a history buff is getting to indulge in all the historical programmes that get made. And in this instance, when I say historical programmes, I mean Outlander. And when I say indulge in... I mean specifically the rather delicious Sam Hewen in various states of undress. It's all for history. That's what I'm here for, is the history. Even if that history has particularly nice legs. (laughs) 
But that's what being a historian is all about, isn't it? Well, it's one part of it. But behind Outlander is the fascinating true story of the Jacobite uprising and the seeds of division that is still felt to this very day. It's packed full of drama, action and romance. And joining me today to delve into this world is Sarah Fraser, author of The Last Highlander, Scotland's most notorious clan chief, rebel and double agent. Sarah is especially well-placed to write and talk about this, as she even has connections to the Fraser clan herself, and they were heavily involved in the uprising. What became of Bonnie Prince Charlie, who led the fight for the crown? How close to victory did he actually get? And what is their legacy today? I am ready to find out if you are. Hello and welcome to Betwixt the Sheets. It's only Sarah Fraser. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. I've been walking around the park on a frosty, sunny morning thinking about uh, Highland sex, which is what <laughs> you've invited me to think about. <laughs> We're a granny, but I'm a granny, so no one can see inside my head. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so my first question was was going to be uh, your research about what's the real history behind the Highlander series. I think we might have just answered that of why it's so interesting. It's the lovely Jamie Fraser's legs, isn't it? That's what's caught your attention. I know. My sort of great, 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 great granddad, I suppose he is. <gasps> Shit. <laughs> If he exists, am I listing over he's not real? <laughs> am I listing over one of your relatives? <laughs> exactly. If only. <laughs> oh no! But you did marry into the Fraser clan, didn't you? Yes, twice. Wow. And I have bred four of them, <laughs> and written about another one who is supposed to be Jamie Fraser's grandfather, old Lord Lovett of the forty-five. And then I did a PhD on obscene Gallic poetry. And my special area is the, as it were, is the 18th century, one of the premier Gallic poets. He's called Alastair McVeistard Alastair or Alexander MacDonald, who wrote both classic Jacobite, come on boys, let's fight for Charlie verse, but also some very ripe, bawdy satire. I'm quite well rooted into this subject. You are. God, how have we not had you on this podcast before, quite frankly? <laughs> this is almost like researching your family history. Yes, it was. It's it's the area. I mean, in that way of it, you know, women are brought in to freshen the blood, hybrid vigor, so that you produce lovely, lusty little phrases. But also it's having moved to the Highlands from Essex, I wanted to know about it and Often, as you know, I mean, this is your field of expertise more than mine, the history of sexuality is the social history of the area, of what they value and why and what they choose to praise and dispraise and what they find acceptable and not acceptable in the behaviour of the community. Absolutely. As somebody who has researched the real history behind the Outlander series. We'll, and we'll get to exactly what that history is and what the context was. But I suppose my first question is, would the Highlanders have really been that good looking in the 18th century? Because Jamie has got like a six pack and perfect teeth and very he's very beautiful. Would they have actually looked like that in 18th century 
Highland of Scotland? I think, well, Lovado the 45, who is supposed to be his grandfather, was six foot tall. Holy hell, wow. So he was a big guy. No, most Highlanders were smaller. They wore their hair long, but were clean shaven mostly. They wore bonnets, they wore plaids. And there is enough correlation because the 18th century is kind of closer to us in certain ways in its openness and the things it values. I mean, we are very open about our sexuality and so were they. I mean, that was not a taboo. That became a taboo in the Victorian era and particularly in the Highlands after a narrow puritanical religious revival got rid of all the bawdy verse and song that had gone before and just excised them out of all the collections. Censorship, basically. But Jamie's not hairy enough. I mean, he's a little bit smooth and shiny, but um, he's a charming man, Sam Hewan. He's an absolute delight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were doing, he and Graham McTavish were doing a series called Clanlands and they wanted to come to our area, Beaufort, you know, and, and the the Bewley Firth where Jamie Fraser, that's his heartland sort of. And, you know, they wanted to interview uh, me about that. And they were just, they're funny, they're relaxed, they're generous, as is Diana. You know, I mean, Diana mm. is, Diana Gabaldon has sold nearly 40 million books in about 38 countries. It's so popular. She does her research, but she's sitting within two cultures. She's Diana sitting in 21st century Arizona, and she's also trying to write out of the 18th century as well. And Mm. there's a lot of sex goes on between Jamie and Claire, as we know. They probably wouldn't have taken their clothes off as much as they do now. because No, I do think that. (laughs) You know, there was a lot more up against the wall or on a sofa and basically up with the skirts and that was it. Mm. I don't think they generally tended to get naked as much as us and the clothes so like this is well before zippers and convenient poppers and things like that wasn't it It'd be a right mission well you'd have gone to the sort of post-coital fag before you'd actually untied your corset god you really would it just wouldn't be worth it no. it just wouldn't be worth it no, let's just put on a box set or whatever a box set of of traditional folk songs or whatever it is so the whole of the outlander series i mean there are numerous reasons why people come and watch it it's it's a great story it's very beautiful shot its protagonists are very pretty people doing very nice things to one another um, and also doing some pretty horrible things to one another but it's got all of that but it is actually set in real scottish history it tracks against what was actually happening at the time and you hear a lot about jacobin this and jacobin that and jacobite that but for, just for anyone who might be listening who's who's heard that word and isn't really quite sure what the hell that was What were the Jacobin Wars in Scotland? They were to restore the Stuart dynasty to the throne. The Stuarts had been thrown off when the Georges came in, the Georgian era. One James, James II, fled the throne, and the Latin for James is Jacobus, hence Jacobite. His followers Ah, became Jacobites, and they wanted to restore the original line. It was very much tied into nationalism for a lot of Scottish Jacobites as well, who had loathed the Union in 1707, which created Great Britain. And the last hurrah of that effectively was Bonnie Prince Charlie landing on the west coast of Scotland in 1745 to reclaim the throne of his ancestors. And I have a lot of sympathy 
for his ambition. Because as he said about mm. himself, you know, a Caesar or nothing, what else can I be? What's he's born for? I mean, we have that it's discussion true. with about the royal family these days. What are you there for? Well, he had the same shtick, but for him, the stakes were so much higher because you're you're kind of ruling as well as reigning. I mean, our royal family quite yeah. rightly only reigned, but so the stakes were very high, and he he really had no choice but to try and be restored, and he swept a lot of the Highlands along with him. And Jamie Fraser in Outlander is a Jacobite. And half the tension in the early books is that his wife, Claire, comes back from 1945 to effectively 1745, and she knows this is only going one way, which is catastrophe for the Highlands. It will destroy traditional society in the form it then existed. And she tries to stop him, but Jamie... He's a Jacobite and he's got to follow his own fate, his own karma. Plays of glory stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it is, it is. And and that's a very good emotional twist because we all do know what's going to happen. And yes. she can't interfere in history, although she tries, but neither can he. He's got mm. to follow his fate. And there's a lot of emotional power to be got from that in those first few books. It's a good tension, isn't it? I often mm. think that Claire could have done a bit more to really lay it on thick with what was happening or perhaps abandon that particular tactic and thought, I'm just going to go up and buy a load of stocks and share. They're going to buy property around London that'll be in my family for the next 300 years. Yes. But then there wouldn't have been a book series, would it? That would have been a rubbish series. Yeah, it <laughs> an economic history of London <laughs> in the mid-18th century. Really, really shit history. Oh, yeah, that's why they didn't do that. Okay, okay, well done. Moving on. So Bonnie Prince Charlie, he is this super romantic Scottish figure, hero. And I want to know if the story about the cross-dressing is true, and we'll get to that in a minute. But if I'm right, if I, and I might not be, but he grew up mostly in Italy, right? Yep. He, he wasn't like born and bred in Scotland at no. all. He had to go back to Scotland to do this. He was born in exile in Rome, and he died in Rome as well. He had to go back there. They created a court in exile, which is always, I think, probably a very forlorn thing because it's a kind of ghost echo of the real thing. And yeah. his father had more or less given up. He he wasn't that bothered. He, he reconciled himself to his exiled fate. But Charles Edward Stuart, the eldest, Bonnie Prince Charlie, had not at all. And he trained every day. This is definitely where he was going. And when his father said to him one day, you know, my son, you know, we find we no longer miss the cares of ruling. And Mm. that to his son, it may be in a classic father-son standoff, was death. You know, what you're Mm. saying to me is you've given up and I've got to reconcile my fate to being a hollow man, a nobody, a cipher. For any young person of ambition and a bit of vigour, who's got a bit about them, you just think, well, no, I mean, I deserve my throw of the dice. He was determined to do that, come what may, which is how it all unravelled as it did. And he ended up coming after various plans that France would send 10,000 men and they'd land outside London and they would more or less walk in. Uh, There were setbacks and he ends up with just a handful of men on the west coast of Scotland in July 1745. Big dream. Oh, no, that's not good. 
so what how on earth then so he's, he's he's arrived in scotland from italy he was supposed to have all of these armies that has dwindled down to like a couple of people he must have been stood there going what the shit is going on here i'd just go home i'd be like Do you know what this this isn't going to work how does he like get the clans to support him how does he raise an army from that point he does by calling on previous declarations of loyalty. Although you're right, I mean, he never thinks about going back, but several chiefs come up to him and say, go home, sire. And his classic response is, I am come home. Um, That is why, you know, and he, and some of them think our necks are going to pay for this, but we have said Mm. honour, loyalty, your name, which is what they really do value. They don't value sexual yeah. propriety. They value your name and your reputation and your honour. And in honour, they have to come out for him and affection. Mm. It's this battle, this classic battle. We all have it between your head and your heart. Many, many of them are emotional and heartfelt Jacobites, but their heads tell them you've got to, you've got to strike your mm. deal with the Georgian regime. George the Second, it is by now. But that tussle goes on and enough of them come out and rise for Charlie and they bring their clans along with them. And that's where Jamie is. Jamie's one of those emotional Jacobites, intellectual Hanoverians. You know, he knows you can't square this circle and you're just going to have to have a go. If it goes wrong, it couldn't be worse. I teach medieval literature to university students. One of the things that we always grapple with is this concept of honour because obviously it's so prevalent in older texts right up to the 18th century there's like my word is my bond I've said that I'm going to do something and it seems like I'm not sure we have that anymore because we're going through this stuff and I'm trying to explain to them of like no 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 the reason that he's going headlong into a battle even though he knows he's going to die is because he said he would and they just look at me blankly like well that's fucking stupid mm-hmm. the reputation of your name was pretty much one of the most important things that you had at the time yes you're your word is your bond, manners right. maketh man. These things had real resonance. And they also, I think it's born out of a society that is profoundly socially enmeshed. Mm. Your word is your bond to whom? Who yeah. have you given your word to? You've given your word to this or that or the other person. You, If you're, if you're a lord, you are duty-bound to protect those who depend on you. You are duty-bound to serve your king, even if, as you say, he might end you up, end you up profoundly in the kirk, and mm. or the kach, as we say up here, the shit. <laughs> and um, you have to do that, and which is why, of course, you know, you see in those 18th-century texts, you, you tend not to name names. You know, you get H mm. hyphen hyphen hyphen. It's a, whereas the word bot, which is Gaelic for cock. That, that'll be there. There's, there's no problem with that. But naming names is is a different matter. And I, as I say, I think it's a social awareness, which funnily enough, I mean, to bring it back to the betwixt the sheets kind of raison d'etre, is why you get such a lot of this sexual satire, because it's social commentary. And what you're doing when you misbehave is, of course, you're breaking the social bond and you are behaving dishonourably. I think that's fascinating, actually. And it is. It's Sexual behaviour is often used as, as a register for how moral or immoral you are, but we're all in a state of cognitive dissonance about it because really the rule is as long as you don't get found out. Mm-hmm. But I think that's fascinating is that sexual behaviour and sexual satire is used as a, as a mark of political context. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. As I said earlier, the poet I wrote about in my doctoral work, my thesis, Alistair 
MacFeister uh, Alistair, Alexander MacDonald in English. He was a Jacobite soldier. He taught Bonnie Prince Charlie what Gaelic he knew. He was also in his youth a catechist for the SSPCK, the Scottish Society for the Propagation of Christian Knowledge. And he is also the most outrageous sexual satirist. And all of those roles were, were considered viable for someone who wanted a coherent life. And one of the poems he wrote was called Oran nam Bodoch, a high er stripachus on the Nardna Murchen, the song of the old men who went whoring in Ardna Murchen. And <laughs> what he is criticizing is one, the uh, lethargy of the young men who are not up and at it, and two, the social wrongness of it being old men who are going around seducing all the young girls. Uh, ah. But the imagery also is tied up with a sudden outbreak of gonorrhea in the West Highlands and where that comes from. And part of the imagery has these old men kind of tugging away on their rusty old swords, <laughs> which are weeping and choked in their scabbards and they can hardly get them out, but they're going to give it a damn good try. And the inappropriateness of that, that, it, that there's, there's what we call a category error here. Mm. Sexual activity belongs rightly to the young men, but they're so supine, they're not getting up and at it. But the old men are desperately going around. You know, it's, it's one of those classic tropes of sexual yeah. satire, isn't it? The bandy-legged, toothless, whiskery old man tupping mm. a beautiful young woman. Yep. And Alexander MacDonald, as I say, was a catechist for the Society of the Propagation of Christian Knowledge and also a Jacobite poet writing for Bonnie Prince Charlie and also had time to look at his community and say, guys, there's something rotten in the state. You know, mm. we're going wrong here. And he, he wrote another one called Marvlana Heigenich, which is a sort of lament song for a woman who clearly became the go-to girl for uh, a group of men in a locality. And the lament, the death song, is him imagining them burying her and her former friends and clients. And they're all around and they've got their little sticks and spades and they're frantically dibbling away into her grave. And the, the poetry is clearly sexualized that they can hardly bear to let her go until they've had enough, you know, and she's there under the ground. I mean, it's, it is very, very forthright and people would fall about at the meetings of the Kirk session or a Cayley mm. at someone's house and they might say, oh, well, Alistair, that was really a bit rich, you know, but, but it was all there when he published his first collection of poetry, which was the first ever printed collection of Gaelic poetry, Alexander MacDonald. It's got the whole range of Gaelic society there in 1750, which is Jamie and Claire's time. It's got classical verse after Catullus praising his pet dove. It's got Jacobite verse saying, "Wahé, well, hey, boys, we're on for Charlie. And on we go. And it's got nature poetry, which is slightly showing inheritances from English nature poetry at the time. And also it's got a whole bunch of icky, icky, dirty, sticky stuff, which in the Victorian collections, they simply excise. Oh, I bet they do. And you find some of the original collections it was 1750 it came out and by the time it gets into a victorian edition one it's gone but in the edition from which it is excised someone's put olok 
O-L-C. Now, in Gaelic, that word means, it doesn't just mean yuck, it means evil, wicked. <gasps> that one little word next to those poems tells you how culture has changed, that that was perfectly all right to put into the first ever published edition of Gaelic poetry. Look at who we are. The book is called Asheri Nashan Chanoin Alabanich, the resurrection of the old Scottish tongue, which is Gaelic in his language. But by the Victorian editions, that aspect of it is gone. This, what we would call sexual satire, the mm. bawdy satire, the very interesting social verse, telling you what's going on in the area has disappeared. I'll be back with Sarah after this short break. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Taking you back to Bonnie Prince Charles, who I hope would have heard some of this this amazing poetry on his campaign, despite the fact that he's kind of arrived with like a few people that are getting cold feet, but, oh, God, we sort of said we would, so all right, we'll do it. He does actually have a few victories, doesn't he? It, it starts off really well. Really well. They go from the west coast of Scotland, and remember, most of that, there are no roads at this time. There are, the first road... That Ooh. sort of opened up the Highlands own, was only built between 1725 and 1750. So there are paths and things. There is one road, Wade's Road, but he avoids that. And his Highlanders shoot from the west coast of Scotland, on foot mainly, to Edinburgh. And he arrives in July, and by September, he's at the gates of Edinburgh and he's taken Edinburgh. And he doesn't actually have to fight anybody until that point. He has effectively got into Edinburgh and taken Scotland, and about three people have been killed in skirmishes between scouts from the Hanoverian, i.e., the kings, King George's army and the Jacobites. But he has to fight his first battle at Preston Pans because. 
the British army, the King's army, get themselves together to get an army and land it outside Edinburgh mm. on the coast, the East Coast. And they're pretty sure that this bunch of what they so charmingly call bare-assed banditti, you know, <laughs> i.e. the Highlanders in their plaids, are, are going to be a disorganised rabble they can walk over. And mm. it is a fantastic victory. It's over in 30 minutes. And it's a complete rout. And the British establishment in London is stunned. I mean, they've been. hardly bothered to wake up to this rebellion or yeah. uprising until this point. But that, that, I mean, talk about a wake-up call. They are now awake. And pissed off, I'd imagine. Yeah, yes, very alarmed. And they're really frightened because they're fighting a major war in Europe. So really, all mm. the British troops effectively are either in Germany or Flanders. They don't have the reserves for this, do they, at all? No, they don't. No, 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 no. Which is why Bonnie Prince Charlie's next move, there's a divide. A lot of Scottish Jacobites want him to consolidate and hold Scotland and break the Union, including Jamie Fraser's grandfather, lover of the 45. He calls it uh, cette union infernelle, this infernal union, hates it. But Bonnie Prince Charlie's determined to take London because to him... He wants to be king of Britain, of the king, the three kingdoms. Think big, right? Yeah. And they charge uh, down the coast via Carlisle, the west coast, and they get as far as Derby. Shit. And that's when Nemesis happens. It all starts. What happens? Run. What happens in Derby? What did Derby do? Well, <laughs> not enough people have come to him along the way. He has assumed uh, that yeah. nothing succeeds like success. And so... He is assuming that a lot of Jacobites, and there are many Jacobites in the north of England, in Carlisle, what we would now call the Lake District, mm. Manchester. He has assumed that there will just be this growing army as he goes south, but very few rise because they have flipped the coin between mm. head and heart and they've made another decision and stayed at home. Uh, so at Derby, there is a big council and they debate. And on one side, Bonnie Prince Charlie and his supporters, the council divides, are for going on to London. They think we've got this far. The King's army, George II's army is still on the back foot. We've just got to press home our advantage. And a lot of the others, a lot of the other Scottish Jacobites led by Lord George Murray, who is effectively commander-in-chief of the army, are for going back, retreating to Scotland and, oh. and enforcing that consolidation. And they outvote the prince and really, it's game over in a long, drawn-out way between today, December the 6th. December the 6th, look at that, yes. Yeah. Time of recording. It's happening now, all those years ago, and it's fatal because they start withdrawing and, of course, winter's come in, and we've had a wee oh, taste of winter last week. Yeah. And they are thigh deep in snow, dragging themselves north, and they don't stop. They have an indecisive battle at Falkirk, which they don't lose. It has to be said, the Jacobites do not lose it. But again, instead, Falkirk is near Glasgow. So you've got Edinburgh on the east coast of Scotland, Glasgow on the west, and Stirling, the big old forts there. Instead of consolidating Scotland, they keep retreating north after Falkirk. So they snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. And then Culloden, having never mm. lost, Bonnie Prince Charlie has never lost. And the Duke of Cumberland, until Culloden, has actually never won a battle. So they go into it, but he is now properly equipped with a good army, regular troops, 
they're properly drilled and the Jacobites are exhausted and hungry and falling apart. And they've lost the initiative and, you know, half of victory in anything any of us do, you do, I do, half of the achievement is knowing you're going to do it before you even yeah. start, isn't it? Well, they, they lose that. If they'd kept going, if they'd gone, no, bollocks to this, we're going to London, do you think they would have won? I think they would have met resistance at some point. It wouldn't have been easy, but it's the big Jacobite yeah. what if. There is a yeah. chance that they could have taken, like taking London, I mean, we see it in urban warfare now. We've got two massive fields of military activity in Ukraine and in Palestine mm. and urban warfare. That's what they would have got into. They would have been right. fighting through the streets of London and that would have been a very different matter. So I don't know. You need to ask a military historian that. Mm, that's a tricky one, isn't it? I, uh, but they make the decision to go back to Scotland and kind of the morale, the steam has gone out of it, Is supplies are dwindling, people presumably are getting sick as they tend to do on these campaigns, dysentery and all manner of awfulness. And then we get to the final battle. Crap, lost that one. How does the story about Bonnie Prince Charles escaping to the Isle of Skye dressed as a woman, is that true? Is that... Yeah. Oh, it did. Yes, it did, it did, yeah. Flora MacDonald and Over the Sea to Skye and Betty Burke, he's dressed as a maid. After Culloden, he is dragged away and there is a massive debate oh, of dear. do we keep up a kind of guerrilla campaign in the hills mm. because the British want this over and done quick so they can get back to Flanders and win that war, which in fact they lose, mm. and Germany. Or do we run? And he decides to run, go back to France and say, look what I could have done if only you'd come in with men and nice. gold soon enough and arms. And he begins this what, you know, they call the flight through the heather. He is on the run chased by the Redcoat army, the British army who are wearing redcoats, quite a lot of them, they are angry. Retribution, mm. predation, it is not good what happens in the Highlands. War crimes that we would call them are freely committed. You know, women being raped while their menfolk are being hung in the trees over their heads. Jesus. And, you know, pregnant women being bayoneted and children being killed. It's, it's really not good. Cumberland issues an instruction to pursue the vermin through their lurking hills. Now, right. none of us can read the word vermin. An enemy cannot be described as vermin to us without yeah. us knowing that is instantly licensing anything. You have dehumanised yeah, the person in the worst way. Yeah. And Bonnie Prince Charlie's running ahead of them the whole time and he has to double back and he goes to an island, then he has to come back. He's trying to stay ahead of them to meet up with a French ship, a clipper or a man of war to take him away. And um, part of that is his encounter with Flora MacDonald. The MacDonalds are a big Jacobite clan. She's not particularly Jacobite, Flora, actually, but to get him away so he can leave, they dress him as a, as a maid. He's a great big maid and he's striding along, sort of five foot, 10, 11. He can't have been very convincing at all. He's also at that time started, he's drinking very, very heavily and he will develop full-blown alcoholism um, oh, in his later life. He becomes a wreck of his former self. He's, he hasn't got the character for this. No. I think he's a case of someone who peaks early. He is a superb young man, idealistic, all or nothing, 
he'll go for it. He'll venture everything, but he doesn't mature. He doesn't grow. I mean, he's crushed by defeat. And it is all still pretty heroic so far. And when he gets to France and he's back in his own gear, he loves dressing up. When he first arrived in 1745, he was dressed as a clerical student and he let his beard grow. He had red hair, let his beard grow and he was scruffy. And he left as a lady's maid. You know, he he quite likes... Fair cosplay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, he'd be great at Comic-Con. And he's received rapturously in France because they can't actually believe he's achieved what he did. It was impressive. Oh, very impressive. When he arrived, he set out from France with two ships, uh, the Elizabeth and the Dutee, and they got ambushed off the coast of Cornwall. They didn't know it was Bonnie Prince Charlie. I think they thought they were privateers. You know, they were French smuggling in brandy for the free trade you know, i.e. no customs, there was a sea battle and he lost the ship, the Elizabeth, which was carrying a thousand soldiers and all his arms and most of their supplies. So when he arrives on the west coast of Scotland, he they are literally a handful of men. Mm. He starts from that. So it's a harem scarum period because it's all done by April the 16th, 1746. He arrives, roughly speaking, July the 25th. 45, shoots to Edinburgh, goes to Derby, retreats, fighting along the way, manages to get away. April the 16th, Culloden, it's done. He's away again by September. It's a year. It's one year. Wow, a year. Yeah. So he kind of comes in, causes absolute chaos, and then <laughs> goes back to France dressed dressed as, as, as a wee maid. Yeah. But what have the people left behind? I mean, I appreciate... Poor old Charlie is he's very sad and he, he turns into alcoholism. He doesn't deal with this particularly well, whatever he's doing. But what about the clans in Scotland? What about the Highlanders that were left behind? Is there any chance, and I doubt that, I really don't think that there is, that the English went, well, just don't do it again then and left them to it? They tried that. When in 1714 Queen Anne died, you know, lots of your listeners will have seen the favourite. When she dies, yes. George I comes in. And he has 50 times less good a claim to the throne than the Stuarts, because Queen Anne's a Stuart. So there is an uprising then. And after that, the British say, just say sorry, promise to go and live quietly and happy days. 30 years later, in 1745, they think, well, we've tried that, guys, and it didn't work. And they plan all sorts of things. One is a wholesale transportation of the rebel clans in indentured labour, i.e. slavery, in Jamaica. I mean, so many. This is what Jamie and Claire do. They flee. There is no future for them at home. Mm. And they want to eradicate clanship and everything that belongs to it. So a series of acts are passed. You're not allowed to wear tartan. You cannot bear arms. You cannot play the bagpipes. If you think of what the Russians did in the the old Soviet empire, you try cultural elimination, all those markers of cultural yeah. identity, your costume, your clothing, your songs, your those shared mm. expressions of who we are as identity. They tried to get rid of all of those. And some people were transported, but they pulled back from the, the sort of wholesale uh, transporting of, of an entire clan, which would have just emptied a district, basically. Yeah, yeah. And people were beheaded. I mean, Jamie's grandfather, uh, lover of the 45, was the last peer of the realm 
to be beheaded. The block and the axe in the Tower of London today has his name on it. It says, you know, Simon Fraser, Lord Lovett. It's quite a thing, this block. It's almost comfortable. It's worn smooth, so it's clearly had use. Where oh. his head would have gone and the axe next to it. And he's buried there. Why did they cut his head off? Oh, treason. Treason, yeah. yeah. Yeah, He was really tried by all his peers. He was brought to Westminster Hall and every single one of his peers in the House of Lords pronounced him guilty and, and then oh. he was definitely going to die. But, you know, he was, someone said of him, who was not a friend, said that, you know, he lived like a fox, but he died like a lion. You know, he did think he was dying for his country, but four of the Jacobite peers were executed, were beheaded. Many, many of the ordinary Jacobites were simply hung, shot, bayoneted. They went after them after Culloden. For example, they would do things like collect the wounded. Those they didn't kill on the battlefield, they would put into a church. There's a church in Inverness, the Old High, and it's got the musket ball marks, you know, where they would just oh, take them out yeah. and shoot them. And if there was a physician put in with them, they would take away his bag of instruments so he couldn't actually treat his fellow prisoners. And they were, they had prison hulks in the River Ness, in the mouth of the River Ness, where they just loaded them in. And when they eventually came to take them out to transport them down to London, prior to selling them into indentured labour, they opened the hull and one of them, you know, there were dead bodies, there were living people standing up to their waist in seawater and dead bodies. And it shocked even the soldiers who, it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal, which is why the commander of the Hanoverian forces, the King's forces, came to earn himself the sobriquet Butcher Cumberland because he just thought, never, never again, will they ever, ever disturb the peace of the kingdom. It was carnage in the Highlands and it was the end of clanship as it had been lived. It's no wonder Scotland hates us, is it, really? I mean, it's just, it's so... I mean, this is ethnic cleansing, really, is that there's, yeah. there's not well, really certainly it's been called that. It's been called yeah. genocidal intent by yeah. Professor Alan McInnes, who is a, you know, he's a Jacobite scholar. It wasn't a British, Scot I mean, an English-Scottish thing because there were many supporters of King George in Scotland and right. there were many supporters of the Stuarts in England. I mean, Dr Johnson, when he went on his tour of the Highlands with Boswell, said that, um, you know, if you poll, and this is 1770, so we're 20, 30 years later, he said, if you polled the country tonight, that the Stuarts would be back tomorrow. And that's Dr. Johnson, you know, the prime yeah. Londoner, Englishman. And he said, but you, no one would give a penny to bring it about. And that absolutely captured. So that sort of, if you link it, that same emotional loyalty to the inherited dynasty of the Stuarts mm. and rational acknowledgement that the Georges were the way to go was in those first chiefs who appeared on the beach welcoming Bonnie Prince Charlie. And 30 years later, it still seems to be in Dr. Johnson, who is sort of going around the Highlands pontificating about things he doesn't know about. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> Oh, Sarah, you have been wonderful. And if people want to know more about you and your research, where can they find you? I have a website, sarahfraser.co.uk, and my book, The Last Highlander, 
Scotland's most notorious rebel and clan chief, about Jamie Fraser's grandfather, is out with HarperCollins. And then I am going to be pitching a Jacobite crime fiction series after Christmas. So I've been working on that. That's what I've been working on. Oh, that well, the best of luck with that. We'll definitely have you back on once that's out. Oh, Sarah, thank you so much for talking to me today. You have been a treat. It was great. Really good. All right. Thank you for listening and thank you so much to Sarah for joining me. I had so much fun talking to you. And if you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, review and follow along wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And if you want us to explore a subject or perhaps you just wanted to write in to say how terrible my Scottish accent was, then you can email us at betwixt at historyhit.com. We've got episodes on everything from the sex life of Robbie Burns to the history of Karens all coming your way. This podcast was edited and produced by Stuart Beckwith. The senior producer was Charlotte Long. Join me again Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, a podcast by History Hit. This podcast contains music from Epidemic Sound. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you for listening to this episode of Betwixt the Sheets. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift... You can get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use the code BETWIXT at checkout.